0: On Pop Fiction Women, we explore what it means to be a
1: complicated woman. Tired of endless variations of leading men next to one-dimensional archetypes of women, or strong female leads written by men that were essentially guys in women's bodies. We started this show to
0: highlight the many female characters in entertainment worth exploring, as well as the women who dreamt
1: them up. And now we're adding those creators to our conversations, discussing their process and passion in bringing these women to life. Welcome
0: to Complicated Conversations.
1: On these episodes, there's no spoilers. So come on,
0: it's starting. We spoke to number one New York Times bestselling author, Emily Giffen, about her 10th book, The Lies That Bind. There's so many highlights from this interview. Oh, she did not disappoint.
1: It was amazing. Oh, loved it. If
0: you're listening, you're no doubt already a fan of Emily. But this interview, I think, shows a different side to her. Now, Kate and I have been to so many of her book signings and author events. And if you have seen any of them or been to any of them, you know that Emily is just magical. She has such a presence she knows how to connect with the audience. She's very present in the moment. She listens so well. She riffs off questions. So we were a little bit unsure of what it would be like to have her one-on-one with us. And I would never have imagined it was even better.
1: Even better. Right? I know. Oh my gosh. It it yes. was just, it it brought out like the magic, I feel like, or the essence Mm -hmm. of what it is we all love about her. But like you said, in in the big settings of of her book signings, which we've been to many of them, and they are a total scene. I mean, like Mm -hmm. you said, Mm -hmm. readers like us come every two years to see her, take a picture with her, you know, witness her personality in action. I mean, think people really feel like sh- it's like seeing an old friend mm-hmm. but you know like when you see an old friend at a party when there's a lot of people around and it's hard to kind of get one-on-one time with them you kind of see a different side of them than you do in something like this where we get to have a real conversation which is her strong suit
0: oh my gosh I had no idea obviously I have only seen the the Emily at book signings and this was really she was distilled down to something so pure, ah, oh, intense in in a good way. Like uh, it was a great conversation. She really went there with us.
1: Yeah, I think for people um, listening who have seen her at her live events are gonna are gonna love this. I think she really embodied the theme of this podcast. You know, she showed oh herself yes. to be the complicated, multi dimensional woman with nuanced views on so many issues.
0: Yeah, it's actually really nice that this is happening because so many events are canceled due to the pandemic. This is a way to not only get access to her, but a different side of her that's
1: really exciting. It, it is. And, you know, we talked about a lot of things on mm-hmm. on it, and we will let you listen, but definitely some of the themes she was trying to explore in this book – talked about her female protagonist cecily's journey to find herself yes and we got a lot on emily's views on why she thinks it's so important for her to write about the messiness of life and relationships mm-hmm. and we are here for it
0: yes i loved what she had to say about
1: picking a partner i mean yes Yes, that that. was fun. Yes, the astrology, we couldn't let her leave without talking about astrology and fate. Yes, and of course, because this is such a fun topic with her, we got to talk about her books being adapted for the big and small screen. Mm. We even gave her some casting suggestions for the main characters and she was into them i know oh that was so fun because the lies that bind is being worked on for a limited series for tv so we had to get our two cents in Mm -hmm. if you listen out there and at the end you'll hear our suggestions we'd love to know what you think about the casting choices and any other thoughts you have on this interview, you can follow us on Insta and Facebook at Pop Fiction Women or on Twitter at Pop Underscore Women. And we'll uh, pass those suggestions along to Emily.
0: <laughs> so today we are thrilled to chat with number one New York Times bestselling author Emily Giffen. Emily is the author of 10 novels and she's enjoyed multiple number one seeds in the US and Canada. Her debut novel, Something Borrowed, was adapted for the big screen and stars Kate Hudson and Jennifer Goodwin. But proving she just gets better, Emily's last book, All We Ever Wanted, planted itself on the New York Times bestseller list for three months. Her tenth novel, The Lies That Bind, is out now. Emily is a very proud graduate of Wake Forest University and the University of Virginia School of Law. Thank you so much for being here with us today, Emily. Well, thank you
2: both. It's so, it's so much fun. Such a pleasure to see you. My old friend, Kate.
1: Yes, who, yes. So Lawyer days. Yeah, we'll chat about that. Don't <laughs> you worry. That's on the agenda. But I guess on a serious note, I, we do want to start you know, by acknowledging, Emily, that the obvious fact that this is a very difficult time yeah. to be debuting a novel with everything that's going on in the country with the pandemic that we're still grappling with, and now dealing with the weighty and critically important issue of systemic racism, which I know you feel passionately about. And this, this just has to be a very challenging time to promote a book. But I know for me personally, and I think for a lot of people, reading can be a real welcome respite or distraction or escape particularly with a book as engaging as the lies that bind that is like all your novels a totally compelling page turner but we do want to just chat right off the bat about how you're balancing all of this
2: you know it is it is such uh such an incredible time you know it already was with the pandemic and now with everything that's happened since george George Floyd's death, his murder. It's been so so much emotion, so heavy, so powerful. I think that in the last few days, though, I think it started with Obama's talk to all of us. Um, He always has a way of, I think, bringing us together. But for me, I feel a sense of real hope that's starting to emerge. And I just hope that we can take this moment and make real progress and have hard conversations. And so even though, as you said, it's a weird time to come out with a book, it's also a platform, you know, amplify other voices, direct the conversation. I was able to participate on in Blackout Tuesday, the day that my book launched. And, you know, I'm, I'm proud to be part of that movement in any small way I can.
0: I have to echo what you just said. And it's been a, almost a week since Blackout Tuesday. And the progress for hope and real change and real action mm-hmm. items this is not this is has already gone beyond sort of performative support and i think it, it's going to continue it's not losing its momentum and that is something to really to to hold on to
2: i worried at first you know yeah sure that that it was just a lot of like influencers who you know have never really said much or interested posting the black screen and like, but I think that it has gone beyond that. I think people are really, are really starting to talk and understand the real breakthrough that, that I've seen is with, you know, just with Kaepernick. I remember when I posted something about him, yes. it, you know, it was, two, I think two years ago and in the fall of 2018. And I had like a 1000 unfollows and people were, and now I, some of those people are coming back and saying, I, I get it now. I see it now, and I think that's the way you. That's that's how we make change. It's not. It's not overnight, although it feels overnight lately. But it's just changing hearts and minds on the margins and having these conversations.
0: Very well said. I, but we do want to talk about the lies that bind in this moment. Mm-hmm. Not not leaving the other conversation, but just. Moving to to talk about The Lies That Bind. So The Lies That Bind is the story of Cecily Gardner, a 28-year-old reporter living in New York City, who, still reeling from a breakup, falls hard for an impossibly perfect man she meets at 2 a.m. in a dive bar after he cautions her not to pick up the phone and call that ex that she's been thinking about. It's a brilliant premise, one that feels so relatable, And I understand this is how you've said you always start writing your books. For example, Something Borrowed began with the premise, What Would Happen If a Woman Fell in Love With Her Best Friend's Fiance? Or one of my all-time favorites, Baby Proof, asks what would happen if a couple got married, and then a few years later one of them changed their mind about something fundamental. Or Kate's favorite, Love the One You're With, asks what would happen if you ran into your the one who got away, and then suddenly being with him felt like fate. So tell us more about the lies that bind and the general premise that you wanted to explore with this. Novel. Sure.
2: Well, thank you for the compliments to Babyproof and Love the one you're with. I always feel like Babyproof is the is the the little book that could. So many people like that's the unusual one for people to pick out to love.
0: That's always uh, so, me too.
2: So thank you. Yes, I can tell already something about you that you're mm-hmm. that you're quirky or something. I like you already, Corinne. Uh, so. Uh, Yes, so I you know you you got the description exactly right. It's about Cecily Gardner, a young journalist who who meets a guy, uh, he seems perfect and then he disappears in the chaos after 9/11. And so it's a love story and it's a mystery, but it's a book that really explores the question how can we truly know someone else if we don't know ourselves so that's that's of course the, the premise but i also i wanted to set it back in 2001 i wanted to revisit this time and it's the summer of 2001 which looking back is such a nostalgic time i know you know it, it's 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 sort of like the last summer yeah. in a sense you know it was very yeah the yes. city even though sex in the city actually spanned several seasons after 9/11 you, i sort of always think of it in that those years before and so I, it was an it was an interesting time period then 9/11 happens of course and things changed for all of us and for me personally I was at, as Kate knows, I was at a crossroads of, of leaving the law and, and going on to move to, to write full time. I moved from New York City to London, and I was turning 30. And so there was just a lot of, I could really relate to Cecily's emotional journey of your personal change happening when, when everything seemed to be changing in the nation as well. Um, and I wanted to explore a relationship in that historical context. And, in, in many ways, it's it's much more about place than any of my books have been to date. Even though, even the books that have been set in New York, this is very much more, almost a love note to New York City, and uh, mm-hmm. you know how hard it can be to live in the city when you're, you know, you move in and you're young and you're trying to make it in a profession and you're overwhelmed and intimidated. And I can relate to some of that, but also just what a, you know, what an incredibly special place it is, and how how much New Yorkers really came together in that moment in time, yeah. which, you know, reminds me a lot of what's happening now.
1: In my- yes, I- yeah. So you mentioned a little bit about what you were doing in the summer of 2000 uh, sorry of of around 911. Oh, yeah. And yes, this book centers around that. And you may not know this entirely, but we share a little bit of a 911 connection. So I yeah. have a little quick story to tell you which you've touched on a little. But as many people know, like you said you used to be a practicing lawyer, a litigator in big law. And in the spring or summer of 2001, you were working at a law firm in the MetLife building above Grand Central Station. I don't know the exact date you left, but somewhere around there, spring, summer. Um, from the 42nd floor of the reception area, you could see all the way downtown to the Twin Towers. And I know this because I worked, as you know, at the same law firm. Right around the but, corner. Yes. but fallen you- to the left. Well, uh, see, we, this is the thing I, what you don't know is actually I started the week of 9-11. We just missed each other. Um, I started the two, Wait, the we Monday. We were there at the same time? No, that's, uh, no. As a summer? So, so you, know, yeah. you know. No, you know because I summered at a different firm that merged.
2: I know why it is that I've conflated that in my mind is because I went back to, to visit Allie. Uh,
1: yes. When we brought in our famous alumni, you did an event. Right, yes. Alum. And I was, you. so you're absolutely right though. And that's, I was sitting in that's that office. So-
2: I absolutely remember you where your office was and you coming down the hall yes. and sitting in Allie's office, which is exactly where I used to sit. Cause my office was right oh, wow. beside her's. Did we, well, I think, yes. in my mind, isn't that interesting how memories can change that one? Mm. I left in August and you came right. in September. Wow.
1: I, I started September 10th, and that's what I was just going to say that, um, that was the first, it was only the second day of my you know legal career. And that morning, you know, I was still very diligent and I got there right at 9 a.m. and I walked into the reception, and everyone was looking out the window down to the smoke coming out of the towers. And I went right back in the elevator and evacuated. I never even made it to my office that day, wow. which as you said, was your old office. And That's the crazy. one you had just cleared out of to move to London and write full time. And I was literally known as the girl in Emily Giffen's old office. <laughs> um, I seriously, <laughs> and, of course, which, you well, know, you we were, we
2: were in that same office.
1: I was in your old office, right, that's what I was just going to say, right next to your dear friend, and now mine, Allison wenig Jackatoo, who this book is dedicated to, and so she always, Allison always remembers that you left right before 9-11, and I came right at or after 9-11, and so it really is of course we know such a defining moment in in this country and of course everyone remembers where they were and what they were doing and it's just one of those moments that like you said there's a before and then there's the after and it's clearly very true for cecily too so why did you want to use this this moment this defining moment as sort of a marker in your story and, and in her journey. Sure. Well, you,
2: I, I have always been fascinated by the before and after, like, how did we not know, you know, even up until that beautiful morning blue sky day, like how did we not know? And you think back, I, you know, to the, to the coronavirus, to, to the pandemic that we're in, it's like, how did we not know over the holidays this, that this was coming, you know, but more than the fact that they're both historic, times and we will always sort of remember the social distancing summer and everything that followed in terms of social justice. I think it's so interesting to explore those moments in terms of what's going on internally, you know, because I think often, well, let's just take the the pandemic and 9-11. They're both moments, in t- well, you'll always remember, they're very historic, they're very heavy, they're fraught with, it, it, they're tragedies. They also are moments where you stop and you pause and you reflect. I mean if you're lucky enough not to have been, you know, really affected by these tragedies, you're not in the ICU or you're you weren't in the the burning buildings and so forth, but for a lot of us who were only indirectly touched in terms of loss, there was a there was a time period in which you stop and reflect. You really think is this is this the life that I'm meant to be living? I mean, you probably even though it was your second day of work, you probably still asked yourself those questions I moved to London on September 16th so that was my flight before 9-11 happened I had my going away party that Saturday night so what would that have been the, the 8th so yeah. like a going away party and got you know the last things out of my office maybe like right before that and and then I was on this flight to to London to move to start writing something borrowed it's it's crazy that we both had such significant starts and ends there with with lives, but didn't we all just reflect like, you know, on our relationships, are we with the right person? You know, are we, are we doing the right thing? Are we living in the right place? Are we following our hearts? Are we have, you know, are we really pursuing our authentic self and path? So it was interesting to me to explore this relationship and also her search for her true self. like. You know, it's the lies that bind. So obviously there's some lies that are told in, in this book to one another, but it's also, I think, about the lies that we tell ourselves about, yeah. you know, who we think we are, what we think we want. And there's a reckoning there at various points in life. And it often happens when external events cause us to pause and
0: reflect. I know I had mine. I was a year behind and I was in my going into my third year of law school and just wondering, what relationships are working, what is working and what is not working. And I had a big reckoning at that time. For sure. sure. You still practice law? I'm still dabbling a little there. But for this pandemic, that's been my big reckoning is how much do I want to be a part of that world? And how much is it still serving me? And how much do I still have to give there? Yeah.
1: Interestingly, I didn't even think of this, but Allison, someone that pointed this out to me the other day in a text, because we were talking about the timeline that I just mentioned of when I started at the firm. She goes, Do you realize that you just started at a new firm and four weeks later a global pandemic oh, happened? Right. She's like, Kate, you might oh, want to examine goodness. your timing and things. And I was like, Oh, you're right. I don't know what that says, but that's that crazy. did just yeah. happen to me too. I know. Crazy. Right, so,
0: Emily, in all of your books, you are You really make us work at assessing who is the bad guy and who is the good guy. Quote, unquote, bad guy, good guy. In in all we ever wanted, it was misdirection. The person that looked good on the outside was rotten on the inside. The person that looks unconventional or undesirable on the outside was so pure and good on the inside. In the lies that bind, it goes even deeper. You question what does it even mean to be good or bad? What kind of lies can be forgiven what kind of sins can be absolved with the right consequences? What kind of limits are healthy, and what which ones are selfish? I thought of all of these questions as I was reading. Is this something that you want for your readers to kind of question and look deeper into our our reactions? Because you definitely did it for me.
2: I think. Well, that's. that's I'm glad to hear that, Corinne, Actually, because that is what I'm that is what I'm trying to do. And I think it's because I try to write about real people, and real women and lives and in men and relationships and how I, I see that most of us, you know, of course there are some, there's real evil in the world, but most of us, I think are good people at heart and we're trying to do the right thing. You know, we're trying to, you know, be good daughters and sons and friends and, you know, husbands and wives. And um, but inevitably we, we mess up. I mean, that's just, the way it works, we 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 say the wrong thing, we do the wrong thing, we act out of self-interest, we're disloyal, you know, and and so I, I when I write about these characters, I I do see all my main characters as basically you know good people, but they do unsympathetic things and and the and the, the fun for me as a writer or the the thing that keeps me really interested and engaged in a story that I'm telling is hoping that the reader will find empathy for the my characters despite what it is they're doing because i think that's what it really comes down to in in real life in our lives of you know we we all mess up and we have things done to us and how do we move on from that how do we ask for forgiveness or forgive and you know, sometimes it's not possible. Sometimes you can't do it. Sometimes, you know, everyone in relationships, you know, I, I always think of Hillary and Bill Clinton, you know, the, mm-hmm. it, like, take all the politics aside, take it all yeah. out of that. And just see it as a couple, like what he did, the humiliation that he caused her betrayal in a very public way. Like, I think a lot of women wouldn't be able to forgive that. They just, they just couldn't. And to me, it's always been interesting when people say she should have left him, that statement. And it's not just Bill and Hillary Clinton. And maybe it's easier to just think of another example in life because that one's so political that it's that it's hard to see it. But you know, who are we to say that you should not be able to forgive or you should have to right. forgive? And think about Both- Botham Jean, the young man who was shot eating ice cream in his apartment when the, with the police officer and health, went into the wrong apartment. And the yeah. mercy, that was, like that, that, his brother hugging the defendant before yes. she was sentenced. I don't think I could do that, but you know, you—it's—it's it's something that some people can do, and we all have different capacities for that. And I just love exploring all those, all those layers. So my characters certainly are hard to love at times. The bottom line, I would say, yeah. they are. Yeah. But so are all of we yeah, certainly, yes
1: not. that's exactly right. And that leads into exactly what I was just going to ask next. And it's so perfect for this podcast, which is about, complicated women uh, which to us just means real three-dimensional human beings with layers and our tagline is we're complicated and so we love to discuss women in fiction that have flaws or imperfections as you say and who don't always make good choices and one of the things you do so well is create female protagonists who are flawed and have missteps but are still relatable characters. And and we totally agree with you that readers can still empathize with. And Cecily is no exception here. In fact, we love that Matthew even refers to her as a complicated woman. I was like, this is perfect uh, (laughs) line for us. Why is that so important to you? It's to explore with your characters and particularly your female protagonists. Is it just because that's, like you said, what you see as humanity, right? As as all of us. And so, and is this something you just think you will always explore?
2: I mean, I just think it's so, you know, when you want to, t- when you want to tell a story about real people living real messy lives and things aren't yeah. black and white and, you know, good people do, you know, bad things and, you know, the, the issue of forgiveness and mercy and all of that, like those are to me to, to not write about that would be to not be writing about real life because it cuts to the heart so much of, who we are as human beings I mean you know I've had people interestingly mo- mostly men ask me will you ever write another kind of book and I know what they're getting at they're talking about like broad genres like will I ever write a thriller or will I ever write you know science fiction or but I I and so I just answer the question and say no I'm like I really it. but what I what I really want to say is you know I'm writing about relationships. That's who we are. That's real life. Like it's not, even though it's designated as women's fiction and women represent a huge portion of the book buying, we buy books and we buy just way disproportionately fiction. Ultimately you have a, you take a man, take any man. And he might think that like his identity has to do with his job. He might say that. And women might say that, but like, we really, it's not, it's really about our relationships. I'm the mother of Edward George and Harriet and, you know, buddy's wife and my mom who's living upstairs right now. And I told, do not walk out of your room. Cause your dog will bark.
0: Um, and <laughs> I'm
2: the bossy daughter and that the, 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 the bossy sister, I think my, my, actually my sister's pretty bossy too, but like, she's, I'm the little sister and there's that dynamic and that's kind of who, who we are. So if I had never left the law or if I had never published this book, you know, I'm I would still very much be exactly who I am. We are the sum of our relationships and with all of their complications. The, great, right. that, the friendship mm-hmm. fallouts, you know, how we sometimes grow apart and sometimes we have an actual fallout and sometimes we miss the people and sometimes we can't stand the person and but that's just all what I what I like to, you know, tap into.
0: I love that you don't shy away from it though. It is very human, but sometimes people who are writing fiction, maybe people who are just starting out, they don't get into those layers. And they just think the plot can be the complicated thing. But th- it's really the protagonist that we're rooting for. It's never the the plot resolution that we're rooting for. It's the people that, that are in those shoes and, and walking that path. That's what we get behind.
2: And sometimes it's harder than others, right? So like, sure. the thing, sure. the thing for, to me has been the some of the books where I thought the characters were the, the the most sympathetic, or maybe a better way to say it is the characters did the least wrong, mm-hmm. have been even harder for people to like. And you know, yeah, I talk I talk about my books by color, but my turquoise book, the one, and the, only, one and <laughs> the one and only, the one and only. all she did was fall in love with a much older man, right? And yeah, happened yeah, to be yeah. her her um, best friend's father, father, which which is unusual. But I mean, there was no infidelity and people had an easier time with Rachel and something borrowed yeah. like, there with yeah. her best friend's fiance. Yeah. They had a less hard time with that than they did with, you know, this girl who's single liking a g- guy who's older and single. It's like, oh, I can't get past yeah. that. You know, or, or yeah. a lot of people were like the first line of that book. And it was one that I discussed with my editor at length. Because she thought, oh, it's too it's too harsh. She sounds too unlikable. And the first line is, I never wanted to be a mother. And I'm like, what? Uh, it's not like the first line is, I had a kid and abandoned them because right. I didn't want to be a mother anymore and I didn't like my kid.
0: Yeah, no, this is a choice. It's a
2: choice. And yeah. so that's, I think it is interesting that you can explore choices and mistakes And you realize that society is, is much more forgiving of certain ones than others, which is also like a whole other layer, you know, all we ever wanted. My last book was about, of course, this teenager who had this social media misstep and, you know, posted something that was, you know, misogynistic and racist. And I think a lot of, a lot of times parents in those situations, their instinct Mm. is worry about their own kid. You know, oh, like, what if he's not going to get into a good college? And so that's another thing that you can explore about society. Why are we so quick to defend those actions right. when we have yeah. we have skin in the game? So, yeah, it all right. kind of ties into that messiness theme.
0: Yes, yes. And it's Kate and I talk about – yes, that's right. and And that's something we've talked about a lot on this podcast is – the more we talk about it, Kate and I don't even agree as to who is likable and who is unlikable. It's just mm-hmm. what you can relate to, what you can get past and everybody's point of view there is a little different. What or you what mean in this book is? or just in life? No, just in life. In, or, yeah. or, or a lot in fiction. But Yeah, but, for sure. Um, Isn't that
2: interesting? And usually interesting. you align fairly closely with your friends. Like you, mm-hmm. you know, your close friends. But every once in a while, I mean, this, is, this sounds like a sort of a turb- trivial celebrity type example, but the whole, you know, Angelina Jolie, Brad Pitt split. I mean, most yeah. were like, I can't, you know, poor Jen. And then you had, you know, every once in a while, you're like, well, they have to be true to themselves. And that's all Brad was doing. But you can even take stories that have nothing to do with us that we shouldn't have a vested interest in. And we can, you know, read, read all sorts of things into them and and Good. informed opinions and judgments and
1: likeability, likeability like you know. Yeah. Oh yeah. We talk yeah. about that a lot on the podcast. Like mm-hmm. and, and, you know how yeah, well because that's that's the issue with a lot of these female protagonists, which is how far can you go in terms of how unlikable they are? And we do think we've seen more recent examples where that's a little more acceptable, right? We love Fleabag, for example, as a show. Yeah, and it's like how how far can we push it um, right. with with female protagonists? And how I do think people are willing to accept a little more, but again, it, it really is about what what you view as unlikable, and have we it. don't even yeah. always agree. Right. right. That's, and what you have that's, a, that's, a tolerance that's for. So
2: interesting. What you can forgive too. Yeah, it's like, yeah. That that just crossed yeah. the line, and you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And on that note, Cecily was someone who I loved in particular because I like active protagonists. She's making choices and sometimes she's making the wrong choices. Usually they're based on little information or limited information. And then when she gets new information, she doesn't ignore it. She doesn't stick with it. She pivots. And I, that's the kind of protagonist I happen to really love. She are a pivoter, right, Karen? Yes, oh. totally. <laughs> big pivoter yeah. <laughs> yes absolutely <laughs>
2: that resiliency is so important in life like to be able to sort of you know I, I think that's hard for a lot of people they get very set it is
0: wait. so I really loved that about her and is that something that's comfortable for you or are you actually pushing your own comfort zones when you write characters who are flawed in different ways because you write so many and you, nobody can say this one character is you you write so many different characters <laughs> Well, oh, my, my my dad tries.
2: I remember after he read something oh, that, you know, they they do drink a lot in that book because they're 20 something and they're living in New York City. But he's like, well, now I know why you've lost so many wallets in New York City cabs. <laughs> you know, I, I it's something that I do struggle with. I mean, I think it's hard for even the people who are, are, are better or more resilient or have have more grit or able to pivot, as you say which i love that description i think it's it's still it's it's not a natural human way to be like we cling to what's comfortable and and safe and easy i think some of us more than others but i think we tend to do that and you know it's human nature to not want to be wrong you know you want to be right and again some people have have that more than others some people are able to let go of that say i was wrong or i'm sorry but in general, it's not an easy thing to admit that you were wrong or say you say you were sorry. It's just, it's not. So, yeah, I I, I like putting in characters in a situation where they they, they should, but can they? Mm-hmm. Sometimes, sometimes right. they can't. Yeah. Yeah, but I'm I glad you like her. I, I do feel protective of my people, as I say.
1: Yes. Like, yes.
2: <laughs> you don't you know, you understand when people criticize them, but you, you just sort of, it's like having a child. Like, oh, my... You know, my daughter or my son screwed up, but I want you to still like him or her. Right. Yes. <laughs>
1: yes. You yourself, right? So we do ask all of our authors this. Who are the complicated women that inspire you and you can draw from real life or fiction? Oh, that's interesting.
2: This sounds like a cop-out and I, I won't leave it at a cop-out, but really it, anyone you get to know well enough is it's it's never as straightforward as you think even yeah. if they yeah. seem to be even the people that seem to be the most simplistic or happier with the most tidy you know social media feeds it have everyone has their stuff everyone
0: right.
2: you know like you go and, and it's just about sort of you know finding trust and teasing back those layers but i mean kate you and i like how many t- face-to-face times have we had? It's usually just when I release a book and w- I'm in the city and right. we're together with Allison. It's all it's usually through Allison. Yep. We met her 50th birthday. I guess I saw you last in December, but yes. you know, I won't get into everything we talked about. But in that one dinner conversation, how many like things did we uncover that were yes. really something that you would never know at first glance? So you, Kate, you've yeah. been an inspiration. I mean, you really had. Like, oh. I, that conversation has, Been in my mind, and you know, I've replayed some of the things we talked about. But in particular, I I think I am drawn. I I tend to have one-on-one friendships more than than than. Like, I've never was one, even in high school and college, to have like the group Mm -hmm. friend. I've always been, you know, I've had this friend and that friend, and you know, they're all separate and they get to know each other in the same way that we've gotten to know each other. But it tends to be one-on-one, and I think it's because you're more likely to be able to have those. Those kind, and, and and know those really deep things about them and the the, the real dilemmas and, and and then of course when you have those friendships you you get into those things about their other friends like you know Allie will yeah. say my sister's dealing with this and then you can explore that as if you're watching a you know Fleabag right mm-hmm. if you're watching a television show you can analyze it this is a silly example too but do you guys watch Shit's Creek do you watch that oh, no.
1: Oh, no no, no, no. Everyone loves it.
2: Very like farcical and far fetched and exaggerated caricatures at first, but the reason that the show is actually good and you have to watch it for a few episodes to get to this is because Alexis isn't the airhead that she seems to be. I mean, she has like real, she has like a bigger heart than you would think and more depth. And I mean, that's a kind of a very silly example, but we've just been
0: binge watching it with my family, so I, so I bring up. when you first started describing it you i thought immediately of monica from friends also another kind of silly example but when she had her closet that was in complete disarray and everyone couldn't believe that she <laughs> right? you know
1: it's this misty- contradiction yes. Yeah. yeah are,
0: that are so interesting i never loved her more
1: <laughs> yeah
0: was she your favorite friend? Like, who was who was your favorite on that show? Yeah, definitely what? my favorite. The type A, neurotic. Yeah, yeah. The, she was my my favorite. You even
2: sort of look like her. You have the similar. You oh. do body type, and yeah, my husband loves right. her. That's the one <laughs> his person talks about. And like, can you you want to like update that? <laughs> Who's a new favorite? Not that she's not amazing, but like you would think sometimes we just choose new people to right. assess it right and he just stick no not only does he stick in there with courtney Cox, he sticks in there very specifically with the with the bruce springsteen dancing oh
0: <laughs> oh wow. like old cool yeah old yeah school with
2: her white um, you know uh-huh and yeah. jeans and
0: well so let's talk about love okay The Lies That Bind explores love in all of its complicated, messy glory, as many of your books do. Cecily says, maybe love should be more about a feeling, not blind passion or an attraction that is destined to fade, but an actual feeling, a deep down feeling right here that we belong together no matter what.
2: Did I write that? Yes. Beautiful. Oh, you're (laughs) so Like was over familiar, but Cecily said it. so yes,
0: yeah. that's right. Mm-hmm. There's also a beautiful line at the end, which I won't give anything away, but I get I, you had shown on Instagram that someone had made you a thoughtful gift with the words inscribed on it. And in that moment, for what feels like the first time ever, my head and my heart are telling me the very same thing. And Kate and I talk about this a lot on the podcast how we choose partners right are some people overly rely on logic and say this makes sense other people blindly follow their hearts some people chase sexual chemistry to destruction but (laughs) do you think the secret is this combination of head and heart you know i think that answer it's so
2: funny that you asked that because i just wrote you know i did one of those They have authors answer advice for an advice column in Parade magazine. So one that I just answered without like giving the whole answer away, because I don't know that Parade would want me to do that. But it's basically, (laughs) who says, should she move for for a guy when she doesn't want to leave where she is? And, Uh, And, you know, at first blush, you would think that the answer is, well, like, you know, do you how much do you love him? Like, do you want, like, but it's, it's deeper than that. I think what it is, is if you are a practical person, it's okay to choose a partner that way. Mm-hmm. You know, y- there's, there's people who are, I mean, let's, let's face it. There are arranged marriages that are absolutely beautiful unions that are fulfilling and last forever. And they were arranged. So that's all, ulti- that's, that's about the checklist. More than yeah. Any Anything you could, you know, that you could manufacture on your own, that that works for some people. And I think it's actually what they prefer. And if both people sort of have their lists checked off and it's a very pragmatic union, then that's great. I think other people really need to feel that, that chemistry, that connection, that sense of like, we're soulmates. And I think that's okay too. If that's what you need to feel, then you shouldn't feel, you know, you shouldn't feel bad about someone shouldn't say to you well he's a great guy what are you doing right Right? Right. ultimately if if that's not what you need and you're not going to be happy and fulfilled then there shouldn't be judgment around that either Um, right i think you see it sort of comes down to like who you who you are i think the real trouble how you see relationships is there, you know, are there deal breakers when it comes to true love or not, which is baby proof. My novel baby proof was about one, one in the marriage, one in children and the other didn't. And you can compromise on pretty much anything except for that. Like you can't have a half a child or yeah. yes. run and give them back and report. yes, so That really does before that question. But I think the difficult, it, the difficulty arises when you're in a relationship and you see things two different ways or one of you is willing to to sacrifice for that like deep down love, but the other one isn't. So right. with my example to this girl, it's like, well, if you're willing to move for him, he should also be willing to stay for you. Right. Which seems like a paradox at first. Like it's like the gift of the Magi, like, well, then, then what do you do? But it's really more about what the person is willing to do for you, exactly. and what they're willing to see in the relationship than I think it is about anything else. I think mentally she is one of those people who needed to feel both and, and not everyone does. It's okay. If you do, if you do, you're going to have a harder time finding that person. Yeah. It's going to be more of a struggle and you're going to like boot people faster. Once that, you know, feeling fades or whatever, which I think that, that can happen. And sometimes people, people drift in and out of relationships for their whole life because that's, that's what they want. You could call it selfish, or you could call it being true to yourself. I think it depends on your your viewpoint. I think what what is selfish at times is is misleading someone into thinking that. I mean, you have to be honest about who it is you are and what you want. You know, I think as long as you're being upfront with that person, then then it's okay. Like in in that example, if you say like I can't live outside of New York City, that's that's I have to live in New York City. Is that selfish or is it just authentic? It's it's about I think communication, but those are endlessly interesting questions. Oh my gosh, yeah. And what we you know what we what we want, what's important to us, what we're looking for, and it can be yeah. in so many different ways.
0: Yeah. The the idea of the and someone who's an objectively good guy or good girl, like that doesn't mean that I can be in love with that person, right? right? It's there's mm-hmm. not
2: really. But some people can, right? Some people don't yeah, have yeah, to true. feel that they they can. They just say, oh, he's great. And if the, the guy feels the same way and everything lines up, they can get married. And they are yeah. some of the happiest people I've ever seen. Yeah. You, right? I mean, Yeah. You, you know exactly who they are. You're going through in your mind those couples.
0: Yeah, definitely.
2: Now, they could be putting up a big front. But, but that only lasts so long. I think yeah. I think you can kind of tell yeah. through those. You know the couples that have been married for like you know, 20 years and they're still like, Stroking each other when they go it like go out to dinner with another couple. Uh-huh. Those I'm like, a yeah. little suspicious of. Yes. Because I'm like, mm-hmm. even if you still deeply love, it can like work up that chemistry in moments. Like that's that it can speak right. to a stroking and like
0: patting and gazing. It seems performative.
2: It, it, yeah. Maybe it's not though. Right. Um, who knows? Who am but... I to judge? Right.
0: Okay.
1: Well, you can just comment.
2: <laughs> exactly. Well,
1: but you're you're fascinated by it, and you yes. I know you you can see both sides. See, you said perhaps it is, but I, right. I you just you're an observer. All of us are on here, mm-hmm. and I I and if if some by the way, if that person stroking is willing to talk about it after, like you were saying earlier, I'd love to hear more. I want to yeah. have a conversation with them. I want to understand it. You know, yeah. we like to have the one-on-one discussions and that. get 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 below the layers of that. Yeah, we sound like marriage I know that's weird or something
2: but I mean it is, it is interesting so it's human nature it
1: observers of human nature so I do have to get back to the law you are talking to two lawyers yes, obviously absolutely. as You're I right. mentioned and interestingly many of the authors we've interviewed for this have been former lawyers and even one who wasn't her female protagonist worked in big law so there is something about you know who we're attracting here but I All of the authors admit that they always had a pull towards writing, but they chose the law, as one said, because it was the safe, well-paved highway. And I've heard you say that you wanted to be an author since first grade, but you went to law school by default. So how did you ultimately decide, you know, to use our word from before, to pivot and have the courage to really follow your childhood dream?
2: Well, I think that the reason that that happens so often with lawyers is because you know if you want to be a doctor, you really want to be a doctor, but you go to law school often because you're just not really sure what to do. It's sort of the default. So then ultimately, I think a lot of people leave the law for that reason. And we're, you know, I'll just like say something really positive about lawyers. We're 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 good at a lot of things. You know, we we're interested in the world, and you know, we like to write, and th- there's a lot of there's a lot of truth to that too. But for me, it it, it was true. I mean, I always wanted to be a writer and I didn't feel like I could write fiction. Now, if I'd been in journalism, I think I would have pursued that right out of college, Mm -hmm. but I didn't think that you could just write fiction. I wanted more life experience. And so going to law school was, it did feel like a safe path, but I will say this because I do think that there are a lot of lawyers listening to this and I never, I want to be clear that I never have regretted right. going to law school and I have never regretted practicing law. I mean, you know, we wouldn't, we probably wouldn't be having this conversation right now. First of all, we wouldn't have known each other, Kate. And so I wouldn't have met you, Corinne. And, and that's true with any job you go into, even one you don't like, it, bring, it it. It opens you up to a whole like life experience and friendships and so forth. But also I don't think that that I would have lived in New York City. Without living in New York City, I don't know that Something Borrowed would have had the same appeal or would have appealed to the publishers and editors at that moment in time, right. which which is, an, I can go off on a whole tangent about that. Maybe I will, but, <laughs> but it's like the, the Gladwell book where he talks about how so much of your success is based on luck and timing. Mm. If I had written Something Borrowed, 5 years earlier or even 3 years earlier then it would have been sort of before Bridget Jones' Diary and Devil Wears Prada where when people weren't looking to buy stories about young women protagonists living in urban settings struggling yeah so they were looking for that because they had found success with those books and if i had written the same book a few years later it, the, the, like the market would have already been full of those titles and, you know, it sort of started to turn away from that, which is why we marketed, started to market the books differently. So it's so much, so much luck that goes, that goes in with that. And I think it's important. That's an, two important points I want to make one for, on, for lawyers listening to this, and also to writers who are listening to this, that we shouldn't regret our mistakes or even things that don't work out because there's such richness in that nor should we beat ourselves up because we aren't, you know, where we we want to be because so much of it is luck and we just have to keep at it. And if it's important enough, it'll it'll work out. So did I answer your question? Even better. You answered
1: two questions, actually, without even knowing what the
0: second one was. So it's perfect. And brought me right into my next one, which (laughs) I was afraid I didn't know how was going to transition from the law to astrology. But you are touching on this idea of, you know, not quite mysticism, but timing and something bigger than ourselves so our research tells us your birthday is March 20th which makes you a Pisces Last is year that right Pisces. so um, yes you know right on the car later I would have been an Aries right I know. Well, my birthday is March 23rd. Oh, wow. So So right on the other side of your cusp. But both Kate and I have found that lawyers like to reject the idea that our personalities and our lives could be written in the stars. But so many writers embrace these concepts of sort of magical thinking and mysticism. And I was wondering where you fall on that divide.
2: That is very interesting. I I think, I mean, maybe it's because I'm born on the divide. I I feel like both. Both, so I'm not yes. willing to reject either. I see. I I read my horoscope. I think about it. I think there's something to that that you know. A lot of people born on March 20th have some similar traits, and Aries have similar. There's something to that. Yes, mm-hmm. and I also believe that we make we make our own decisions within that. So
0: yes. it's it's sort of both. What are what, what do you guys think? I'll, I'll speak for myself. I approached it with the idea that I am the one in charge period full stop I'm the one in charge I'm making all these decisions and then when I started to get more into it and see okay there's some context here there's Mm -hmm. some some timing some connectedness that I wasn't seeing when I just stay in like I'm the one in charge put my blinders on and so I'm much more open to the idea that other factors are at play here. And I just found myself saying, my husband's struggling right now uh, with, with something. And I'm like, listen, it's a real struggle, but also we're in eclipse season. So for two weeks, it's going to be hard. <laughs> like maybe keep that in the back of your mind when you're like thinking this is going to last forever. You do you, that you your career
1: in retrograde. Yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Corinne knows a lot no, about astrology. Oh, I want to learn about yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. No, a lot. So she's she's our resource for all things astrology.
2: No, signs. I just
1: oh, no. look off
2: my book. Oh, no, I, it's, you know,
0: it's called Signs.
2: Uh, the Secret Language of the Universe by Laura Lynn Jackson. You should read that. You would love it.
0: Oh, I will definitely I love that. pick that up. That sounds like, like, yeah. Right. It would be right up here, alley.
2: But yeah. So is it possible, like, what do you think about this? Is this a contradiction that I believe that you have complete free will, but that, that someone out there, like a God, like one God, universal being knows what it is you're going to decide. Does that cop out? I don't, I. Do you believe in God? Just like one sort of same God for everyone. We all call him different things. And yeah, sure. But and he knows what you're going to do, but you're still in charge.
0: So I do believe, I'm not sure I would phrase it that way, but I think I would say yes. Okay. I yeah. <laughs> I would say that there are some things that are non-negotiable. Like Kate and I have just mapped out all the times we could have met each other, like literally in the same place, at the same time, didn't know each other. and. Frankly, we knew each other a long time, but when we really came together was at your event at the one One and only. One of your book signings. Yeah.
1: And that that? was so
0: God or whoever or whatever it is definitely was like, you and Kate have to be together. I don't know why or what it means, but you will be together. And so there's a lot of free will in that, seeing as our connection started when we were like 14 years old. We dodged it for a long time and then we came together. There
1: is both there. Yeah, I definitely. Someone knew. Someone knew that. Yes, someone. Someone
0: knew. We, if anything, we probably screwed it up a little.
1: Yeah, yeah, our free will interfered. Isn't that always the way? It is. Oh my gosh, we heard on your virtual event the other night that. The Lies That Bind, you're working on a limited series for yeah. it and that you might need some help with casting. Yes. Okay. Yes. You're so fun. So, so fun. <laughs> if this is going to be a limited series, The Lies That Bind. Okay. We have some ideas for Cecily, Grant, and Matthew. Will you text them to me later or should I write them? Yes. Oh, no. I'll yeah. absolutely okay. text Email them to you. Email or text them to me. Bye. Yes. So real quick, you said Cecily, you described her as looking like Liz Fair in the book. So we were going with blondes. Corinne, who was you? I'll let you do well, your done choice. done her
2: hair, but Liz Fair's done her hair both ways. That's true. Okay, <sighs> That's you're right. She also was talking more about her face structure, but I don't really, I'm not wed to that. Because you remember in Something Borrowed, Darcy had dark hair. Yes. And case, so yeah, it's, it's more about like something, some other intangible quality. So don't be limited by that.
1: No, no, I know. Well, and just so you know, when you were casting for something, borrow that is, of course, when I was sitting next to Allison, do you have any idea how much input I had? In, obviously, it went nowhere, but I mean, she was in my office. We were Googling, like, actors and actresses, like, all day long, and I was, like, not doing my work so that I could help cast them.
2: <laughs> That's hilarious, but the reason that I know that your, your input went nowhere is because ultimately my input went nowhere. <laughs> well... <laughs> No, yeah, I, I love the good casting, good. but you know, you don't, it's fun. you don't really have that much play in, in yeah. it. Although now with Eliza Bine, we're sort of, it's the same producers and we've, you know, we're very good friends. That was 10 years ago that we were making something borrowed. And so we're more of like, you know, we're, I'm a producer, I guess you could say. So, so now your ideas will, are very important. So you need to get them to me. So who do you see? Who do you see with Grant, Matthew, Cecily, Amy?
0: I kind of loved Catherine Newton from, she was Reese's oldest daughter on Big Little Lies. She might be a little young because Cecily's 28. And so that's a really important pivotal point, but, but I really liked her. She was great in Big Little Lies.
1: And I don't know what's up with Reese picks, but I was thinking Anna Sophia Robb who played the young Reese in the Little Fires Everywhere Hulu adaptation that just happened. Uh, She was amazing. So we liked Lily two. Collins. What do you think of Lily Collins? Oh, I yes. said Lily Collins to grin, but <laughs> yes. then we were thinking we couldn't go with the dark hair. But I app that was on my list. Yeah, it
2: was okay. What do you yes. Think yes. about? Why am I blanking on her name?
0: That wonderful actress that
2: was in Me Before You.
0: Oh, yes. Lisa, I, know gonna I have love to her. I love that book, and I love her.
1: Amelia Amelia Clark. Thank you. Oh, oh yes, absolutely. Oh. That's a great choice. But she has
2: that sort of, you know, strength yes. but
1: softness to her. Yes. Oh, I like that. Okay. I love that. One. So Grant, you said um, uh, you described him as the doppelganger of for the hot Croatian Doctor from ER. <laughs> so I was picturing sort of dark Corinne. I had dark and hunky yeah. and Corinne was a little more brooding. So you're, you you like too, Corinne. Timothy Chalamet. Oh, that's awesome.
2: And I liked I think I see brooding
0: yeah yeah I mean
2: like definitely hot but more of like uh, the brooding you know that that maybe four and ten girls would be like oh you think he's that hot and then the six or ten would be like oh wow he's you know so he's not like the straightforward like the Brad Pitt that everybody sees is right
1: right so then that's probably a good one because I'm like in the four people who aren't into Timothy Schley I think he's an amazing actor and I love everything he's in actually I just I don't know, I wouldn't, I went a little, a little hunkier, but I like Noah Centinio from To All the Boys I Loved Before, but he, he might be a little young too, but. He um, seems
2: to me too, well, don't get me wrong, I'd be thrilled to have him. Yeah, of course. I mean, just we'll make a role for him. I love him, but he seems a little too like open and straightforward and, Mm. you know, rather than like. The, the darker and more co- like I, I love how open he's pl- sort of played I'm sure he could do
1: anything that he's I was just gonna say I, I would yeah. I think they hopefully can change but yes and his Instagram persona and yeah. and the roles we've seen him in definitely support what you're saying Matthew we just were thinking just someone c- cute boyish good looks so Corinne I didn't know your choice go ahead oh Cole Sprouse you know oh. I from Riverdale yes. good yeah and then but then then I even
0: thought you could use the twins for Grant he's a twin oh wow yeah Dylan and Cole so, yeah. that was a good okay one. you have
2: yeah. to you have to send me these I, send I will right over, like we are we are in the middle of like passing lists back and forth and talking I about love them, it So.
1: And and is the sort of boyish good looks kind of what you're thinking of, or what do you think? Yeah, of? for sure.
2: I see him yeah. as being a, like a lighter haired blonde. It's like yes. sort of all American, yeah. Like universally thought to be cute, and then Grant to be a little more, you know,
0: less traditionally, conventionally straightforward. Like right. But Matthew catches your eye, but Grant, you, when you get there, you're like, oh, there's something there's good
2: like here.
1: Your
0: skin.
2: Yeah. Right. Yes. Oh, I like Karen's eye eyebrow. Just went up
1: with you. Yeah, yes. <laughs> yes. she's like, hmm. I like to I, get under your skin. That part's good. I like Grant Gustin, who plays the Flash. Yeah, the- y'all are good. With this. And I don't know that he fits anywhere. I just want Scott Eastwood, Clint Eastwood's son, who is 34. So you might be a little no, old he's old. something. He's just. he's the hottest man alive like I don't know which if he's good for either I'm just like I didn't just get him in just get him in like can he be something I don't know he might be too good looking I don't know but
2: I don't know is there such a thing
1: no actually and Liam Helmsworth if we're going for famous people is only 30 how is he still so young I thought he was that too
0: just because he has such a deep resume Getting to think about the characters that you already love coming to life is just, and people get so invested in it, as you know. Yeah,
2: it's yes. fun. It's fun. Yeah. I also let myself, like, you know, I sort of put the book aside and say, okay, the book is the book, and dark, yes, color the way I always picture them, and then the movie is 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 like so much, so much fun. I like give, I try to give freedom to the people making the movies, and 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 be okay with those differences. I think the differences can be fun too.
1: Yes. Yeah yeah gives it another life yeah, yeah sure. talking about sure. that like because we've done some recaps and we did we recapped all of Little Fires Everywhere and the Hulu adaptation and we'd also done one on Celeste Ng's book and there's a lot of differences yeah. actually in that but and Celeste Ng was involved but you know I've read a lot of interviews with her where she was like this is their thing you know and she loved the changes you know she wasn't territorial about it and she felt like I, the book exists as I wrote it in my mind.
2: Nobody wants to work with the difficult territorial, like the book is better kind of author, you know,
1: it's just right. Right. fun. It's
2: like, let's just, it's, it's, you know, the, the main difference is when you write a novel, you call every little shot. I mean, your editor might refine it and help you with the change of direction, but ultimately it's your decision and a movie is so collaborative. So it's, it's a very, it's an interesting, fun process. I hope to. I, I hope that this, you know, continues to, you know, that we can develop this and actually bring it to life. You never know with Hollywood, though.
1: Yeah, we know yeah. it's tough. But well, we do know
0: that the lies that bind is an excellent book. Everyone should get a copy. Thank you so much for talking to us. Oh,
2: thank you. We need to do it again. This was fun in person. Once the
0: pandemic
1: yes. is over. Over. 30s. Yes. Yes, and thank you so much. So much fun to see you both. This has been Pop Fiction Women with Corinne and Kate. If you enjoyed this show, please tell the complicated women in your life. And the men who love them.
0: Yes, tell them to listen. And then to follow on Spotify or review and subscribe
1: on Apple Podcasts. And of course, share on social media. Tag us with your favorite books TV shows and movies starring complicated women on Facebook and Instagram at popfictionwomen or on Twitter at pop underscore women.
0: For more coverage of the women you love or to find out if you qualify as a complicated woman, go to popfictionwomen.com
1: and keep it complicated.